Warning, this episode contains explicit content. Please proceed with caution. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Whiskey Sex Talk. I am your host, Romeo. In the studio today, I have Stephanie Aguilar, and also here with me is David, my co-host. Welcome to the show, guys. Welcome, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It's good to be back. It is good to be back here in the saddle. I got to make sure I have enough soda water for my highballs because it's hot in downtown right now. So I'm, I'm drinking my bourbon in a highball and you know to keep it. Nice oh, cool, so. look at you. <laughs> well, at least I'm prepared. But uh, I want to talk about I want to talk about orgasms and bourbon. Yes. So, you know, interesting enough, Stephanie, I, I love bourbon. I think like bourbon is like such a summer like drink for me or summer cocktail or summer spirits mm-hmm. uh, for better lack of word. And yet I know zero about bourbon and i i consider myself a whiskey like you know connoisseur or a whiskey enthusiast um what can you tell us about like can you walk us through bourbon because i yeah i want to know i really want to know you're the expert all right yeah absolutely so it's i think it's really important to know that bourbon is one of the most highly regulated highly regulated categories of whiskey in the entire world um and there's a lot there's a lot of rules surrounding it to to protect the integrity of bourbon so legally bourbon has to be 51 percent or more corn it has to be aged for a minimum of two years in a new charred oak container and it can't be bottled at under 80 proof so there's a lot of different kind of ways that you can change the identity of your bourbon being 51% or more corn. So I think on our last episode, we were doing the Whiskey Crash Course 101. We were talking about mash bills. Mash bills are essentially the combination of grain that you're using in your recipe. So that's the identity of your whiskey. So if you're using 51% corn, mandatory, another 49% is essentially what's going to make your bourbon unique. So you can use um, a portion of rye in there. You can use a portion of malted barley. I know well, um, Koval in Chicago is using millet. They're using oats. Um, so essentially, as long as a grain has a sugar content, you can add that to make up the other 49% of your mash bill. And like I said, that gives your bourbon its identity. Um, typically, when we're talking about bourbons and their mash bills, there's something called a classic mash bill. So what a classic mash bill is going to look like is going to be over 51% or more corn. It's going to have some kind of content of rye and some content of malted barley. That's what we call a classic mash bill. If you want to talk about a high rye mash bill, that means that it's going to have 51% corn, but the rye content is going to exceed whatever the third grain is, or if there even is a third grain added to it. So there it is, bourbon. So we talked about classic mash bills. We talked about high rye mash bills. Um, One category of bourbon that is extremely popular is weeded bourbon. So weed and bourbon is going to be your Maker's Mark, your Buffalo Trace, and everything within the Buffalo Trace family, which includes Weller Antique, Weller 107, Weller Foolproof, all the Pappy Van Winkles, all uh, all those really classic and really highly sought after whiskeys. 
So um, what's beautiful about these weeded bourbons, and more specifically speaking towards so this Pappy Bad Winkles, is that they're using a red, they're using a winter wheat, essentially. So they're using wi- uh, wheat from one season. And essentially, a lot of people say that wheat gives bourbon this really beautiful, soft, kind of sweeter note, so to say. So if you're talking about a bourbon with a high rye mash bill, you might get a little bit more greener notes, something that's a little bit grassier, maybe a little bit more like hay. If you're at a loss for food words when you're talking about a high rye whiskey bourbon, uh, I always say it's very green or very yellow. Um, it's got a little bit more bite to it texture, uh, texture-wise, um, whereas the weeded bourbons are a little bit more rounder. They're a little bit smoothed out. Um, so that's your bourbon essentially there. And if you want to go even farther into the bourbon hole, we can talk about Bottled and Bond. So Bottled and Bond was essentially a tax incentive that was happening in 1897. And a lot of people were making uh, illicit illicit whiskey, essentially. So the Bottled and Bond back, the Bottled and Bond Act came around and it essentially incentivized whiskey makers to go legal. So in the Bottled and Bond Act, which is very, very specific, you have to have legally your bourbon that's 51% or more corn. It has to be distilled at no more, no higher than 160 proof. It cannot enter the barrel at higher than 125 proof. It cannot be bottled, and it has to be bottled at 100 proof. And it also has to be aged legally for four years in government-appointed warehouses. So that's a bottled and bond. That's like a very, uh, that's a classic moment in U.S. history for all bourbon makers because they said, all right, so if you're making your whiskey production and you legally age it in these rack houses or rick houses we will you know give you a little extra off the piece of that so um um before that bottled and bond act a lot of people were making some really shitty whiskey you know <laughs> a lot of people were getting sick a lot of people were getting uh you know all all those the long list of whatever it is that happens when you drink illicit spirits that has been you know added with other things which now that we're speaking of additives um also bourbon legally cannot have any added colorings or artificial flavors, which is something that you can do in Japan or Ireland or Scotland. So, you know, for consistency, a lot of people, it's just a given people eat with their eyes. So I can have a batch of whiskey and I can bottle it, but even though it's from the same batch, I can have, you know, different bottles change color over time. And that to the consumer's eye looks like there was something off there. So it's a longstanding tradition in Scotland and in Ireland to add a little bit of caramel coloring to your whiskey to keep that product consistent. In bourbon world, you cannot do that. It is illegal. Wow, wow. Even, okay, wow. So there's, so you, it's crazy how re- you said it. It's really regulated. Now, how did this evolution happen? Which Was it just because it took place in the U.S.? Or was it just because... Uh, yeah, it's still early. Yeah, absolutely. It's an extremely American thing. I mean, in its roots, distillation, you know, was something that was, you know, taught to us by a lot of the Irish immigrants. I don't know if you're familiar with a whiskey called Henry McKenna. Uh, Henry McKenna was an Irish immigrant who came to Kentucky. And, you know, when all these Irish immigrants were coming to Kentucky, they were bringing these little, you know, copper pot stills that they had brought from their homes. You know, these little, you know, little like three seat copper pot stills and bringing them into America. And at that point, Americans weren't really distilling their corn, you know, they were, you know, just eating it pretty much. Um, But obviously, you know, when new traditions come into America and it was founded in such a way that you are reinventing the old traditions, 
it just kind of went hand in hand with the American, um, with the kind of like American, like kind of pride and like American made, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to make it. So it was definitely something that evolved out of, um, you know, the country just forming in and of itself. So, I mean, now the stricter rules about bourbon have kept that legacy, um, which I think is beautiful because there is no other spirit like bourbon. And that's why people, you know, continue to seek out these really high end bourbons. Uh, but bourbon can be a bunch of, can be made anywhere in America. If it's in, if it's made in Kentucky, then it's Kentucky straight bourbon. But if you make it in Texas, then we can call it Texas bourbon, but you can only call it Kentucky straight bourbon if it's made in Kentucky. And um, if it's aged in Kentucky as well, it has to be done in one season by one master distiller. Wow. Can you talk real quick about like preparation with the casks and how they... Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh... Like, like for, for me, like my, my biggest thing, and, and this goes across like certain, certain whiskeys is oddly enough is I prefer some whiskeys that are in double cask as opposed to the ones that are aged older in a single cask. And I was kind of curious okay. the way that those are preferred on the bourbon side too, and how that preparation goes. Well, to talk about talking about rick houses or rack houses, which are essentially aging facilities for these barrels. So well, one of the reasons why bourbon is also bourbon is because of the way that these barrels are stored. So if you're in Ireland or in Scotland, essentially what they'll do is they'll store these whiskeys um, kind of on top of each other vertically on pallets. Whereas in Kentucky or we're typically in America, wherever those uh, rack houses are, they're set up in levels. So when you're laying down a barrel, you can fill up two barrels at the exact same time with the exact same juice. And you can have one resting at the bottom of the rack house on the lowest floor. And then we can place that second one on the tallest floor of your rack house. And after six years, those two whiskeys are going to taste wildly different just because there's temperature variances within the rack house. So when you're talking about um, uh, bourbon preparation, you definitely have a lot of ability to influence the flavor of your bourbon using your cast, using a few different ways. So when you are you making bourbon legally, you have to use new charred American oak barrels. So you do have to add some kind of temperature cook on the inside of that barrel to release some flavors. So essentially what's happening, uh, wood is an organic piece of matter. And when you apply heat to it, it feels it, I mean, you know, uh, biologically speaking, it thinks that there is a fire near around. So what it'll do when it's exposed to heat is it'll start pushing all of its oils and all of its sap and all of its tannins to the surface. So you do the same thing before you put whiskey into your barrel. So when you're talking about char levels, which means how much fire, how long you're going to light it on fire for, that definitely affects your whiskey as well. Um, so it, 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 Correct me if I'm wrong, pardon me on this, but the way that it's charred, it's charred on its side, not on the bottom, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. So the way that it's so th there's there's a lot of different ways that you can go about charring your barrels. Um, so, like I said, we were talking about char levels, and essentially, there's two ways to measure the char level on your on your bourbon barrel. So you can either uh, time it by how many seconds you light it on fire, fire, or how deep the centimeters go into that piece of wood. Um, so, and there's also I know at Woodford Reserve um, they do. They do a very specific um, type of charring to their barrels. So essentially what they'll do before they char their barrels is that they toast them lightly. So think about a piece of toast, a barrel as a white piece of plain toast. So when you put it in the toaster, you know, you've set it for two minutes, it gets light brown, right? 
But if you crank it longer and longer and longer, it's going to get darker and darker and darker. That's exactly what's happening inside of your barrel. But what Woodford Reserve is doing is it's first it's taking that piece of toast and it's putting it to like level two and they're letting it chill for a little bit. So at that point, all the sap and all the tannins are at the surface, right? But then they go in at a second time and they light that shit on fire really hard to sear the inside of it. They call it an alligator char. It looks like alligator skin on the inside. And at that point, you've almost uh, burned those tannins and it, it releases an even more impactful flavor of wood into the whiskey. I also know that there's some uh, barrels done in Jack Daniels, which is not technically called a bourbon. Uh, the only, for all intents and purposes, it is a bourbon. It is 51% or more corn, Asian new charred American oak barrels. But the only reason it's called Tennessee whiskey is because it goes through something called the Lincoln County process, which is something that bourbon does not do. Um, but what they do at some of, some of their uh, experimental barrels at Jack Daniels, what they'll do is they'll carve grooves inside of the staves. So a wood stave is essentially the one in one individual piece that makes up a barrel. Mm -hmm. um, so they'll scrape grooves inside of that barrel to create more surface area, which is you know really crazy. And then at that point, you're creating more surface area. And then if you're messing with toasts and then you're messing with chars, it just opens up a whole new a whole new ball game, you know. Did I answer your question, David? Am I talking out of my ass? No, no, no not at all. This is brilliant. I guess the, I guess the <laughs> one thing, I, I guess the the inside scoop is too. Then is like, so what is the what is the I guess accurate way or the accurate description that when it's prepped and they typically classified as like cherry oak, um, like where does that like what's the what's the genesis of that or I guess like okay so for uh so for a lot of distilleries in America uh depending on where a, a lot of distilleries in America are sourcing their barrels from a company called Independent Stave Company mm -hmm. so Independent Stave Company has essentially a manual that you can look through with all the different kinds of woods that they offer mm -hmm. so essentially you can go through that catalog and pick out what wood you want to use so sounds obviously very, sounds very sounds very naughty right now it sounds like it sounds like yeah it's almost like you know opening up like a carpet sample and like you know yep. rubbing all the carpets and then just mm. picking out which one you want the most sure. like yeah. you know you're thinking about what that would feel like rubbing up against your face and uh <laughs> it's the same thing with bourbon barrels so like you can choose what kind of wood you want to use with it but it has to be new it has to be virgin oak that's never been used before once yeah. Once that barrel has been used, it cannot be used for bourbon production ever again. So I do have the conversation often about bourbon and sustainability. And I've, um, you know, been on panels and on uh, group talks with other whiskey, expert and whiskey experts in the industry. And we talk about that, you know, it's just like, think about how much bourbon production there is. And you can only use that barrel once. I mean, obviously, these barrels are getting bought by distilleries in Ireland and in uh, Scotland and in England and wherever else they're distilling to reuse them to put their juice inside of. But at that point, they're only using it maybe two, three, four more times. So at what point? At that point, what do you do? Is bourbon sustainable anymore? Um, what does a reinvented bourbon look like? Um, at that point, you would have to change the laws to make it. So you know. So I was in I was in Tennessee about a year ago and actually no okay so i was in tennessee about a year ago visiting the jack daniels distillery and then we crossed state lines into alabama and we went to the stevenson cooperage and i was talking to the cooper there so for people who don't know what a cooper is it's essentially um 
it's a, it's a lost art. <laughs> uh, distilleries used to have on-site coopers, but coopers are essentially the people who make your barrels. That's what a cooper does. Mm-hmm. But the cooper there at the Stevenson uh, at the Stevenson Cooperage was telling me that he's um, messing with creating thinner staves. So instead of having thicker staves, like the, the traditional American standard size ones, he's trying to mess with ones that are thinned out or potentially using old staves that have been uh, sliced down to half of their half of their thickness and then trying to use that again. Mm-hmm. But then at that point, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how that's going to alter the flavor. You don't know if it's going to be the same anymore. At that point, legally, it's not bourbon. So that just opens up a whole you know, it opens up Pandora's box about what the future of bourbon is, because I will say this right now, it is not a sustainable, uh, it's, it is, it's not a sustainable um, business model. So it's, it's like, funny because like, I, I, Romy, I don't know if you're like this, but, and I'll never ask a woman her age. So Steph, I'm not going to ask you, but like, I'm 28. Oh, uh, all right. So that's good. You're, you're, you're young and, but like, oh, I'm, see, I'm, funny, I'm no soul. I'm wise. <laughs> she look at all the information she knows about whiskey. Come on, man. But 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 it's it's not only the information, but it's the passion behind it. You know, yeah, she's back in the back in the early twenties. I don't know how you were Romeo, but like I was always like in the uh, I was I was like a, I was like a, a, a vodka guy. I was like vodka, and then like gin and tonic, and then maybe <laughs> maybe something else. But I didn't you know until I got my thirties, I really wasn't a whiskey and bourbon guy whiskey and scotch just straight whiskey or bourbon um so it's kind of like it's fascinating to see like the evolution of some people but i feel like more and more now especially like stephanie's a perfect example she's in her 20s and she's got a love for it like how how weird is that because it was never like that before you know it was always it was like a it was like a taboo thing or or it was more of like an age Thing that when people were being labeled, oh, you drink scotch, you drink whiskey, mm-hmm. you drink bourbon. Right. Oh, you must be like in your forties or fifties, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's like a lot. I always, I mean, I think Romeo and I have talked about this before when he's been inside of the bar Jacklip and we're just kind of chatting. And one of the first times I met him, he was just like, you know, what's your clientele? What are the kind of people that come in here? You know, a lot of people assume it's going to be, you know, old, you know, just like white collar, right. fifty plus white men that come into the bar, which they do, but. There is no, there's a huge range of people that come into Seven Grand and into Bar Jackalope and it's beautiful. Like people my age, people coming in and they're just curious about whiskey. I feel like it's more normalized maybe in parts of like Kentucky because at that point, like, you know, you're a kid on a fucking farm, you're corn fed and hand spanked and you're fucking <laughs> drinking bourbon since the age you were like 13. So like right. there's a little bit of a difference there. And in, in and then in, in, in Europe, you know, uh, drinking at a younger age is, you know, with adult supervision is not something that's taboo like it is here in America. Right. So definitely. And I think there was a moment there, at least here in California, where it wasn't normal for someone my age to be interested in the spirits world at all. They were interested in getting drunk the fastest and yeah. whiskey usually yeah. was did it a little too fast, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that's how I got introduced to, I mean, not whiskey, but when I was younger, I just remember like, no, you didn't care. It was just vodka or, you know, Jack Daniels. And Jack Daniels is amazing in college. I mean, that's that was at the level that I knew my knowledge. I love Jack Daniels. Oh, so. Jack Daniels is made on it all the time. No, it's great. It's still like a, it still has that classic taste, you know, and it's Jack and Coke, you know, like you can't go wrong with that. But I think that um, the, that's how I was exposed to it. I think as I got older, I eventually was like, I, let me try things differently. But I think now with like, YouTube and like podcasting and all this information that's out there, people are becoming more well-informed as mm-hmm. to how to do their research. I mean, when I was there, I don't think I was Googling like, oh, let me see what whiskey is all about. You know, you had people that were doing yeah. that. 
But I think um I think um also like establishments like like Bar Jackalope and like Summoning Grand, like it allows people they have events, creating these events for young like people who are enthusiasts allows the younger demographic or people who don't know um to kind of be exposed to it at a very, very casual level without being intimidated because you don't know such facts, you know? I have a question for you. For people who want to learn more about uh bourbon and want to like up their knowledge, what books do you recommend or what uh places or sites that you think that they can actually So um if you're not familiar with Fred Minnick, uh Fred Minnick is a very um it's a household name for whiskey enthusiasts. Um, Fred Minnick uh, has written several books about bourbon. He has a podcast called The Bourbon Pursuit. Um, so if you're interested in learning more about bourbon, I would just literally Google Fred Minnick. Um, it's phonetic. <laughs> you spell it just like Fred Minnick. Yeah. Um, and you'll find all of his stuff on there. So uh, thank you for all of that information. Anyways, on a different note, I know I don't mean to like gear, take us in a different note. Uh, guys, did you guys have you guys, David, tell us, like, tell me what you told me. Well, you were telling me about this new porn, uh, not fetish, but this thing that's happening now. I can't believe it. I read, I, I mean, when you told me this, it's just, you got to tell us, please. Well, 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 first off, I got to, I got to revert back to our, our conversation last week, uh, about sleeping arrangements because I did not sleep good the first three days that, uh, so you said naked. Uh, yeah, and uh, I didn't sleep well at all. I was a little upset. I think I blamed it on you too. I was just like, "This is, no, listen, yes. sleeping naked for sure." <laughs> I don't know what it was. Maybe you were. I don't know you what you ate, but for sure, you got to try it again at least and make sure. Oh wait, like, so you you don't like sleeping naked? See, I do, I do. It, it was just I, I hadn't I had not done it in a while, and I was telling Roma that typically I'm like that. Like if I go to like hotels and and things of that nature. But, um, but yeah, I hadn't done it for a while. And all of a sudden I did last week and the first three days I did, I didn't sleep. Well. Like, <laughs> That's really funny. Right away usually, and woke up early. It's... They usually say you get better sleep when you sleep in the nude. Thank you. Right. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. It, it was frustrating. So, so anyways, so, you know, there, there's a couple of things that I always look at and, um, you know, since obviously we're, we're here in California and, and Romeo's overseas in Israel, I, I always like to look at at news around the globe and you know there's some things that are going on right now i'm a big fan of the show billions and if you watch billions at all if you're a fan of it the the da of, of new york um he uh he's got a weird fetish and um uh, now there's something that's going on nowadays that's called spite porn and what yeah so what this basically is is let's just use youtube for example um Steffi, let's say that you and Romeo were dating and you had a, a bad breakup or he just cheated on you and something went wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. What's going on right now are women are contacting uh, these adult film stars, reaching out to them and telling them what happened in their relationship with their boyfriend or husband and why the relationship went right. All right. And what the adult actress will do is contact the guy, butter him up, and then as soon as like things are like at that, you know, crescendo, then they immediately start chopping them down about like what they did, how they are, like they're horrible people, all da 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 da. So like these women are paid to basically humiliate these men on the other side of a, of a relationship that ended. 
that sounds fun that sounds like it's that sounds that sounds like it benefits two people in multiple actually three people actually all of the all of the parties involved in multiple ways so what i'm assuming is that these women or men that are contacting these adult film stars they're getting some kind of cathartic experience that you would get similarly to uh a therapist or you know uh, you know, a therapist. And so they feel like, you know, they're releasing that and they're giving it to someone. The adult film star is getting paid. And then whoever the other person, the cheater, the low life is, you know, getting their healthy dose of karma. I mean, at least you get to work with your, like you said, you get to work out all your issues. I could imagine, like, yeah. imagine being like the adult star and you're doing this. And at the same time, like all of this other stuff, you start channeling, you start just like, releasing everything that you've been suppressing all your life and at the end of it you walk away you're like wow and actually that helped me too (laughs) yeah definitely i mean it just i mean it kind of goes down to what people are willing to pay for you know and it's just like you know a lot of people are willing to pay money to see their exes suffer a little bit you know so like it's a it's a tale of revenge you know i've never really um toyed with revenge myself um it's I don't think it's something I'd pay someone to do. I think personally for me, I'm very, very um, straightforward. And <laughs> if some shit goes wrong, I will fucking tell you. <laughs> and, and, but there's some people that liked, I guess, oh, like yeah. that game, you know? Um, yeah. Curious, you know, you know, they say that porn, uh, uh, porn kind of during COVID-19, mm-hmm. a lot of people were streaming porn. And yeah, I'm I, me I, included. I yeah, I signed up for that Pornhub premium like first day. I think everybody was like probably like just on the porn. Oh my gosh, it was great. I struggle so hard to find like mainstream porn videos that get me off. It's just like really the gems right now are the amateur videos. Like yes, this is real good stuff right like, there. And then like on my yeah, and on the Pornhub, just like regular Pornhub, not the premium. It's like really hard to get to some of those videos. But then it also made me think back. I'm like, wow, I'm like, okay, so if I'm really in, like, how much am I willing to pay for my nut? So, like, the biggest thing here is that, like, the thing is, is that they're using these adult film stars for not necessarily for sex. You know, they're using their image, their sexy images, but there's no, it's it's a new kind of nutting. It's a new kind of an orgasm, the orgasm of revenge. You know, it's just like, that's, you're using sex to achieve that but it's not necessarily a sexual act that you're engaging in so it's a very dynamic way to start using adult film stars because the only way that i would ever think of using a film star is to get off on and and you know what's inter- what what i'm thinking about is that you know the porn industry in general um and, you know stars don't get paid that much now like now you porn stars are like influencers and you can contact them directly to do these like catered videos i love that i mean if yeah so that means like okay so let's say let's just say that despite like the spite porn that that exists david let's just say like stephanie like let's say i want to give you a gift for your birthday i can mm. totally contact this <laughs> porn star and be like oh she loves and let's say like you like i don't know you have some fetish of like uh, long videos of girls getting eaten out really well yes that's so let's say like you contact these porn stars and you can tell them like i want to give this gift like a a catered porn to my significant other as a happy birthday gift 
Mm-hmm. At that point, you just write in producer on your business card. Producer, yeah. <laughs> and now like, it's really cool because now like these 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 adult stars are becoming more. Uh, they're self-employed now because you can contact them directly to do these things. I'm just curious to know, like the percentage of like spy porn, has it spiked up? Because I mean, like, I do agree with what you're saying, Steph. Like, I don't think that like, I don't know how many people actually are really in the market of like paying all that money and then sending that video to the person that you broke up with just to, as a, as a revenge or as closure. Cause it seems like it's more like closure. I feel like, uh, I think it's, yeah, I don't know if it's closure. I think it's revenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's interesting you say that because, you know, how guys are. If if anyone's barking up our tree, we're going to give them some kind of consideration. So 100%. I don't even imagine, imagine like you would need to fork over a lot of money to bait a guy, you know, especially yeah. if get some that's not as, let's say, as attractive and she'll still chop a guy down. Um, the other thing too, is there's actually an app out there called Cameo. Have you guys heard of Cameo? I think I have. Um, okay. I'm not familiar. It's so kind of like, an, yeah, tell me. Yeah, yes. I'll just say, so Cameo is basically an application where it's a, it's a digital video space where like you as a consumer can connect with whoever is on there. That is a, like an influencer or, mm-hmm. or, um, creator. And basically say, hey, David, um, I want to I want you to create this message for me. I want you to sing me happy birthday. Um, so I would offer you my services for whatever dollar amount that I I request. And I will give you a message for whatever your liking is. So you can say like, hey, David, I want you to sing happy birthday to me and do it with, you know, standing on one foot and wearing like a leather jacket or something like that, like. I would be charging a dollar amount to do that for you. And it's almost like Vine. It's almost like Snapchat, like a video that just comes in and goes away. Well, I like, think it's good. I mean, hear me out. And, and I think that's good. I, I'm pro all that because the porn industry has declined because you have sites like uh, X2, Pornhub, like a lot of these huge yeah, you know, all these porn. I don't even know what any of this stuff is, guys. You got to tell me what all this stuff. No, I mean, there's these free porn sites. <laughs> so that means that you don't pay anymore for the porn. And now you go right. to these sites and you can watch porn for free. So there is this whole decline in porn because people rather watch, you know, watch free porn and then pay for it. And I think it's a great idea that these adult stars actually are getting finding creative ways to generate money and actually sure. be direct kind of like consumer to business uh that kind of like uh whatever that's called but that that connection where i can go to you as a porn as an adult star and be like oh can you do this for me as a birthday you know or do a ca- what you said the cameo because i mean they're not getting paid very much and and well the beautiful thing about being a sex worker is that you can be a sex worker and never have to have any kind of intercourse with anybody. Right. And true. like that's true. Yeah, that's that's the most that's the most empowering thing because as a sex worker is that you are, you know, channeling your sexual capabilities and your sexual energies. And, you know, getting off doesn't necessarily mean orgasming anymore. Getting off is maybe financially being dominated. Maybe it's what was it called? Revenge revenge porn revenge. spite porn spike porn you know it's like uh people want to use sex for a lot of different things some people use sex to get ahead some people use sex you know as an addiction um but yeah these sex workers are more than capable of creating an entire career without ever having to 
have any on-screen camera sex or anything like that, which I think is amazing. You know, it just really, it, it, it goes to show you that the idea of sex and the image of sex and uh, sex power is a real thing. And it's something that you are, people are willing to pay money for. And it is an asset to people and to others, which um, I'm all for it, man. It is. Uh, I wish it, it, okay. it is. And it's interesting that, you know, we're seeing this in an age where we're so desensitized and everything goes, you know, like there's so much porn out there and, and people are, have easy access. But at the same time, it's kind of almost being in a, uh, an adult star or a porn star or a sex worker. Like there's it's kind of balancing. There's kind of some dignifying thing that you can actually now achieve um, pers- on a personal level. Or just in a way where, let's say, like, you want to do it, but you don't want to be doing, like, like full-on sex, you know? You want to... Well, yeah, I mean, you can set your standards. You can set your standards. That's you do. Yeah, you can set your rules and your boundaries. Oh, yeah, or if you have no standards like me, then you can do whatever you want. And yeah, so it goes, like, consent is sexy, and so is, um, you know, having none. And I actually, like, actually, no, I said consent is only sexy, but having no standards is fine also. That's <laughs> what I meant to say. Consent, consent, consent. Always, always, always. always 100%. <laughs> and speaking of consent, I think that this is a good thing for women because women for so long have been like, you know, the porn industry hasn't, I would almost say hasn't been good or bad, but I think women can find the fact that you're able to do this in a way that you feel suited for yourself. Um, it's very, very um, part of, I don't want to say part of the me too, but it's it, you could tell there is some taste behind it you know well i mean i don't i'm not a sex worker by any means but i use my sex magic to get things i want that's true of that's true of any sexually enlightened woman i believe well i mean that's cheating (laughs) no it's not no it's not no it's not i don't know it's not no it's not cheating i'm all it's 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 no it's no different than that's no different than um you know what Never mind. We're no, gonna say it. <laughs> you can't. You can't bring it up and not. We're on air. So. <laughs> you know, it's just it's one of those things that you know you, you used to your advantage. You know, it's like when you have when you have the skill or when you know you have something. You know, you use you use what you got. You know. I've i I it's been a while since I've seen a, a woman dance like that, Stephanie. But that is a great job at dancing. That's uh, that's a good job. You know, I'm a really good Latina, so I know how to dance all the types of dances. All that shake, all that shake, <laughs> all that rhythm. <laughs> I've got rhythm from head to toe. Butter, baby, butter. <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like I should be drinking some yellow spot right now during this conversation. <laughs> you should be. I'm. I, I mean, I'm hoping that that Gatorade bottle is filled with something. <laughs> it's. Uh, I wish I was it's, drinking it's, it. You, you know, it's HT. You couldn't, then. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I told, I told Romeo last week. I, I said I haven't had anything since like late January. Well, it's really good to take a break. I mean, you really don't have to really kind of be caught up in like, oh, I just got, I got a drink because it's there. You know, some people do that. But listen, I think at the end of the day, it all comes down to like drinking responsibly, really, and in moderation is always great. Or browning out responsibly. What does that even mean? <laughs> when you brown out, like you're like. You're not totally blacked out. So you're not totally blacked out because you're like not being an idiot, but like you're not going to remember some of the stuff, but you're not like falling and stuff everywhere. So oh. you're like browned out, not blacked out. Oh, I have a... Which is I've... something that bartenders are really good at and it's not cool. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 it's not healthy. 
And the key is before you brown out is the key is you always delete every text message <laughs> in your phone. Oh, like if you don't want again. to wake up the next day and then start reading like what you said. So you're like, wait a minute, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have called that. I shouldn't have said that. You just turn on the voice memos on your iPhone and then listen to it the next morning. You're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> right. exactly. Oh, my God. You guys are ridiculous. That's exactly. But it's true. I mean, I've been a vic. I, 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 that's happened to me multiple times. And it's <laughs> it's happened to everybody. It's everybody. But on that and note, the rest of us. On that note, I think, uh, I think I'm going to leave it on that. Um, Stephanie, thank you so much for coming back to our show. And David, I mean, thank you. Obviously, you're part of the show. Stephanie, you're always Thanks, welcome. David. Uh, oh, please. I'm always happy to come on. Yeah. I'm always very comfortable talking about whiskey and sex. And the reason why I like bringing you is because you're a freaking woman that knows whiskey. And I think that's that's very amazing. Like, I just you're and you're always good to talk to like <laughs> you're always good to talk. You always give us so much and you don't hold back. And thank you so much for being a show. If people want to follow you, how can they get a hold of you? <laughs> Sorry, you were going to say like you always do so much and give so much. And I was going to say, thanks. I do the same in the bedroom. Um, but <laughs> now we know, ladies and gents. Um, uh, you can find me on Instagram um, at sup underscore Steph. So S-U-P underscore S-T-E-P-H. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for today's show. Today's show.